Amen. So Philippians chapter number two is where we're going to start out at this morning, beginning in verse number 13. The word of God says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. One of the most important lessons that we can learn uh, in our lives is to trust God's working in us, is to trust that God is drawing us to his side, that God is at work, and not only in us, but he's at work in the world today. God is not willing that any should perish, but his desire is to seek and to save the lost. Just like God desired to seek and to save us, his desire is to seek and to save them. And we need to remember that it is God that began a work in us, and it is God that is doing a work in others. Amen? And one of the, one of the pitfalls that modern uh, believers fall into is we believe that God is more concerned with getting us a new car than saving souls. We, we lose God when we lose vision for what God's heart is broken for. God's heart is not broken because we have an older model vehicle. His heart is broken because the prodigal is away from home. And the sooner we get our hearts turned to what God's heart is turned to, the sooner we'll be walking in the will and the purpose and the plan of God for our lives. It is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. You know, if you could get a church to do that, you'd be doing well, wouldn't you? Amen. If we could go a week without murmuring or complaining, we'd be all right. But it is, it is human fallen nature to murmur and complain. We, we, we're never closer to, uh, you know, acting on behalf of the devil is whenever we are murmuring and complaining, listen, against God against what God is doing. There is, it, there is something that rises up um, on God whenever his people begin to murmur and complain. One of the things that you see throughout Israel's history is God's wrath, his anger turning upon them as they murmured and complained about their present condition externally. Amen? One of the realities that we have is we oftentimes you know, misplace our faith, we begin to look on our extremities. We begin to look on the, the temperature on the outside and forgetting what God has done for us on the inside. And if we'll trust what God has done on the inside, the outside is much more bearable. And we're going to just hang on to that thought. We're going to come back to that. But there's something important that I want you to see. Murmuring and disputings happen all the time, but they should not happen in the house of God. They should not happen in the family of God. But as we saw throughout Israel's history, they happen. Whenever somebody is looking at somebody else in their opinion, having it better off than themselves, they will begin to murmur and complain and dispute. Uh, but these murmurings and disputings are something that the world does. This is... Um, actually a very satanic thing, but it is something the world does because it, it, it basically bites the hand of God. Uh, whenever God delivered Israel out of Egypt and God prepared for them food every day, 
God met their needs, but they began to take issue with what God had provided for them. One of the things that you saw that they did is they complained even about the manna from heaven, didn't they? They, they wanted something more than their daily bread from God. It didn't satisfy them. But you know, it's, it's an amazing thing because whenever there was nothing, the manna satisfied them. But whenever manna was all that they got, it didn't satisfy them anymore. See, we're creatures like that. We, we, we murmur and we complain. And, and whenever we're not walking with God, whenever we're not walking in the Spirit of God, and listen to this, when the fruit of the Spirit is not being produced in our life, something will take its place. If, we're, if we are not bearing fruit for God, something is taking its place. And so this is one of those things I always have to say, and if you're not front sliding, you're backsliding. And if you're not bearing fruit for God, you're probably bearing fruit for the devil. You're probably bearing fruit for your flesh. You're probably doing the bidding of the enemy in tearing somebody down or complaining against God or doing something of the similar nature. Now, one of the things that we see in this verse is uh, it, that, that uh, we are called to do all things, not some things, without murmuring and disputing. So no matter what God is doing, we're called to live a set-apart, sanctified, holy life doing everything that we do without complaining. One of the hallmarks of a Christian should be that we are at peace. One of the hallmarks of God's people should be that we have a holy contentment upon us, that God is so at work in our lives that we are at peace with what he's doing. Amen? And one of the things that you see about the world is the world is always complaining, always bickering, always disputing, always rebelling against what God is doing. And as children of God, God calls his children. This letter is not written to the world. This letter is written to the church. And God calls the church to cease murmuring, to cease disputings, why is it so important that we do that? Because when someone sees the church murmuring and complaining and disputing, when someone sees the church doing that, the light of God is not shining as it should. Where do you get that from, Brother Kenny? Very next verse. Where do you get that from? The very next verse. You just keep on going. Keep on going. Look at verse number 15 that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, this is the calling of the church, is to let the light of God shine bright. Amen? In, in, in other words, to not get in the way of the light, to not block the light. You know, the Lord said nobody, uh, you know, lights a lamp and puts it under a, a bushel. Nobody, you know, puts, you don't hide it under a bed. You let the light shine. But one of the ways that we diminish the light is by acting and living like the world. Now, how is it that believers begin to act and live like the world? It's because we no longer have eternity on our minds. When we begin to live a circumstantial life and we no longer have eternity in our minds, we will become and think just like the world thinks. 
the world, all it has to live for is the here and now. And if you ever meet a believer that does not think on eternal things, all they think about and talk about is the here and now. Paul has a word for that. He calls them carnal Christians. He said he had a lot to give them, but they couldn't handle it because they were carnal. They were carnal Christians. They were consumed with the cares of the world. And in fact, you, you, sometimes people are like, you know, I wish that God would use me. And the problem is God would if you would just get out of the way. If you would get you out of the way and let God use you, he could. But as long as you're in the way, there's, there's not, the light is not going to shine as bright. Watch this. It says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Now, don't be confused there. You, you are a child of God by adoption. It is the, you are adopted into the family of God. And listen to this. In the midst, Without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now, if there's anything that the world needs today, it needs the church to be the church. Leonard Ravenhill, he said, every morning I wake up and I'm, I'm heartbroken. Why are you heartbroken every morning? Every morning I wake up, the world is lost and the church don't have a voice. Every morning I wake up, the world is lost and the church don't have a voice. How is it that we've lost a voice when the world is so crooked? The world is so crooked. The world is so perverse. I believe that we're more perverse now than ever. I believe we're more crooked today than we've ever been. We're, we're, we're crooked as a nation. We're crooked. We're perverse. And yet the church's desire is to blend in and not stand out. God has not called us to blend in to the crookedness of this world. God has called us to stand out that the light of God would shine forth. The light, the light calls men out of darkness. And it is the church's responsibility to be a voice in the wilderness today. Paul uses this language on purpose. When he's talking about a crooked and a perverse nation, this plays on the same exact language that John the Baptist used in Luke chapter 3. And John the Baptist was quoting the prophet Isaiah when he said, make the crooked path straight. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. You see, the way of the world is crooked and the way of the Lord is straight. Don't make any bones about it. Don't try to confuse the two. The way of the world is crooked. It's always been crooked and it'll always be crooked until the Lord descends from heaven to Mount Olives and establishes his heavenly throne here on earth. And on that day, the crooked path will be made straight. But from this day till that day, the church's responsibility is to say, thus saith the Lord, to hold the line and to let the light of God shine so that men can come out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Our responsibility is to stand in the gap, to look on the souls of others, to be heartbroken for others, to plead with them to come out of darkness, to come out of that sinful life, to come out of the crooked and into the straight. You see, it's not just John the Baptist that was calling people to come out of the crooked ways. That's the voice that the church has lost. The church is hoarse today. 
The church is hoarse, it's coughing, it's sputtering. But God, his word declares we are supposed to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. One of the sad realities that we see in the modern church climate is everybody's about building churches, but nobody's about building the kingdom. You see, if you're about building the kingdom, you tell people to come out of sin. You tell people to come out of darkness, to come out of the closet, to come out of that way of life, to come out of the world system and to turn to God's system, to repent. I know that's a forgotten word in the church world today, but it still has the same effect. It's still the same. God calls us to stop doing things the way that we want to do them. God calls us to stop making it in our minds the way we want to do it because all we're doing is blending in to the world. And God never called you to blend in. God called you to stand out. Don't, don't be a Christian in disguise. Don't be a Christian in disguise. God called you to stand out so that men and women who are lost and in bondage and in darkness can see what God can do in somebody's life. You are a living testimony to the living God. If God brought you out of the gutter, you should let your voice shout it out. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. If God has brought you out of the gutter, you got a testimony. And you should be shouting it out from the mountaintops that there is still a God and he still saves and it's the same old way it's always been through Christ and him crucified and him raised from the dead. God doesn't change. God never changes. But as you look at the Bible, as you look at the spectrum of church history, God's people flake in and they flake out. But God's heart stays broken for the lost. And the sooner we get on board with God, that's when we'll see God move again. You talk to any old Christian, they'll all say the same thing. When are we going to see a move of God again? Amen? When are we going to see a move of God again? And I believe God in turn is saying, when are you going to be broken for the lost again? You will see a move of God again when you desire that other people get saved again. We want to we hand clap and jump over pews, but we don't want people to get saved. If we wanted people to get saved, we would be shouting out from the mountaintop, if God did it for me, brother, he can do it for you. If God saved a wretch like me, he can save someone like you. If God has forgiven me on behalf of what Christ did at Calvary, he can forgive you for whatever you've done against God. God is holy, but God is merciful at the cross. And whosoever, whosoever that believes on him, he will save. Whether you're, on, whether you're on death row or skid row, God's desire is to seek and to save the lost. And we will see the Spirit of God animate the church again. No, you won't have to go through the motions. You won't have to, to puff it up. You won't have to smoke machine it. You won't have to have laser lights. You won't have to have concerts and all kinds of other quacky things when the power of God comes, when the church gets broken for the lost again. Amen. Amen. 
when we begin to proclaim that this is what God has said, when we begin to walk as God has called us to walk, as children of light, we will see God move on the church again. So it says, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, you know, one of the, one of the things about shining as lights is this. How many of y'all know that, that Satan, Lucifer, he, he masquerades as an angel of light. He is an imitator of light. And one of the saddest commentaries on the church world today is because we don't have the fire of God like we once did. We've got to fake it till we make it, and God don't work that way anymore. God don't work that way. God will not allow you to do that. God will wait you out until you get to a place where you become desperate for God. God will wait you out until you begin to actually hunger and thirst for his righteousness like he said. He, you will not be filled a moment before then. If you can continue to live the way you're living and not hunger and thirst after God, he will let you keep going. He will not fill you with the reality of who he is and the power of his spirit until you crave him, until you become desperate for him. As long as you masquerade, you, as long as you masquerade and fake it, he will not bless it. He will not bless what he hates. God will, it's people all the time, you know, uh, you know, bless me, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. God's not going to bless a life that is walking in opposition to his word. You can mark that down. God will not bless a life lived in opposition to his word. He would have just as soon blessed Saul on the road to Damascus. That's the way people think today. But God's desire was not to bless Saul, but to blind Saul. And when he blinded Saul, he grabbed his heart. He grabbed his heart, and Saul was going to Damascus one way, but he went a different way. He was going in an effort to persecute, but he left in an effort to build up, to preach the gospel. You see, God has a way of changing us. God has, you know, people are like, I, I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that. Just wait till God gets a hold of that person. People have all kinds of, uh, all, all kinds of ideas and all kinds of dreams, but you know what? Whenever we come to the cross, we're supposed to have laid those things down. We're supposed to have surrendered those things to God and let God build what he desires to build in us. Amen? We, we, we sing that song, have thine, own, have thine Own Way, Lord. But this generation doesn't mean it. This generation wants it their way. You want to see God move? Say, God, have your way. You want to see God refuse? Say, God, I'm going to have it my way. That old, those, those old hymns, I, 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 tell, I, I was telling our, the uh, nursing home service last week, I said, those, those hymns that we sing at our nursing home service, I said, you get more truth about God in those hymns than preachers preaching sermons today. You would be better off, you would be better off opening up a hymn book than listening to sermons today. 
You get more about the gospel in, in the old rugged cross, victory in Jesus, it's well with my soul, have thine own way, Lord, then bless me now, God, give me a new car. So it, it says that we are supposed to be without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now let's look over at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 real quick about that. As shining as lights in the world, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to go down to verse number 13. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said in verse number 13, you are the salt of the earth. Did you know that you're called to be the salt of the earth? There's a couple of things that salt does to the earth or salt does to a product. Salt preserves and it also purifies. Salt purifies and preserves and that's the kind of person God has called you to be. God has called you to stand out not blend in. If salt blends into the food, don't you say it's bland? And what we have is bland Christianity today. We have Christianity that is saltless, not salty. If you put salt on food and you just keep on pouring it, pouring it, pouring it, and then it still tastes bland, either something's wrong with the salt or something's wrong with you. And God has called us to be the salt of the earth. If the world looks at you and can't distinguish between you and an unbeliever, there's a problem. God has called us to stand out from the crooked and the perverse nation. But all that you see coming out of pulpits today is that you are called to, to be just like the world, to have the best of the world. The best car should be yours. The best job should be yours. The best house should be yours. The best retirement plan should be yours. The best clothes should be yours. When God has called you to be set apart, not blended in. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is theref therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You see, if, if a believer is not, if you've ever popped fireworks, you know what this is like. Our, you know, I don't recommend wasting your money on them, but if you ever have, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you ever have a, a firework and it was a dud? You, 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 you lit it, you lit it, and you stood back, and you were just expecting that thing to take off and explode. And you waited and you waited and you waited and you waited and you thought, is it going to do it now? Is it going to do it now? When, when's this thing going to take off? When, when's this thing going to explode with, with joy and the lights and the fire of God? And I believe God's looking at us today and he's saying, is it a dud? When's it going to explode? What's, going, what's the problem? Why, why is it not clicking? Why is the salt not salty? Why is the light not shining? Why aren't they singing my praise? Why aren't they glorifying my name? Why aren't they standing out as light in a crooked and perverse nation? A, a, a dud firecracker, you know, you, you look at it and you're not sure. It's really good for nothing. It could explode at any moment, but it could just sit there and be a dud for the rest of its life. 
And he said, this salt, this salt that is not salty is good for nothing. Good for nothing. How, how, how sad is it? Listen, the Lord said, you are the salt, but if you're not salty, you're good for nothing. Well, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. Well, read your Bible. That Jesus that you don't know also took a whip and drove people out of the temple. That, that Jesus that you don't know also told the Pharisees. He didn't look at the Pharisees and say, you know what, guys? I think that you just have the wrong idea. No. He said, you serpents. Why did sepulchers? He called them every name under the book according to what they were. They were wicked they were defiled, they were hypocrites, they were liars, and he called them such. And Jesus here said, if you're, you're called to be salt, but if you're not salty, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. But listen to this call. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, it's an amazing thing because over in Philippians, Paul, the apostle, he said that you shine, right? You're supposed to shine as lights, and that's, what, that's exactly what Jesus said that we are called to do. When people are lost and in darkness, when people don't know God, when people don't know the life of God, when people don't know the power of God, we are called to be light for them, to show them the way to God to show them how to find God, where to find God. He's not in all these other things. He's not in programs. He's not in DVDs. He's not in smoke machines. He's still working the same way he always has in souls that come to him by faith at Calvary. He still works the same way, and he still does a full work to those who fully come. Our job as believers is to let the light of God shine in us and through us to those that are in darkness and in bondage. It's one of the saddest commentaries that we have in the church world today is that we're, we're too busy. We're too busy building buildings than building the kingdom. Once we begin to see that God's desire is not in buildings of men, but in buildings buildings of the heart you see that's why he said that you are the temple of the holy spirit in corinthians you are the temple of the holy spirit you are the temple god's desire is to inhabit men's lives not what they can build with their hands god's desire is to touch people that are broken and distraught god's desire is to take the drunk off the street and to sober them up under the power of God. God's desire is to take that person who is hopeless and considering suicide and giving them the hope of eternal life. 
God's desire is to take the person who is in, dis, in, in bound in discouragement and depression and God's desire is to give them the fullness of the Holy Spirit so that they've got joy overflowing and peace without ceasing. God's desire is to take the person who is lost and on his way to hell and to give him a new destination, to give him a mansion that has been prepared for him in heaven. And, and, and when the church truly desires to see God move again, oh God, I would do anything to see you move again, Lord. When we truly desire to see God move again, we will set out, we will set out on the same mission Jesus set out on. He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? What was the business of the father? Reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. That was the job. That was the mission. Re bringing the word of reconciliation. That's why the Lord told us that we have the ministry of reconciliation. That's the gospel message that God through Jesus can reconcile even someone like me. That's, what, that's our word that we tell the world. God's desire is to reconcile the whosoevers, the ones that society has cast off, the, the ones that nobody thinks about, the ones that nobody loves, the ones that nobody you know, thinks about, the ones that everybody rejects, God, his heart is broken for them. And when we get on mission with that, we will find God moving like never before, not only, not only in our lives, but in our churches. You see, our, our churches, you know, we, we, we will not have to have revival once a year. We'll live in perpetual revival. God will perpetually revive the heart that is in tune with his God will perpetually revive the heart that is in tune with his. But if our hearts are never in tune with God, we cannot expect that uh, reviving. If, turn, turn back with me to Philippians chapter 2, uh, right where we were. In Philippians chapter 2, I'll read this verse again, and then we're going to go to that next one. It says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked, and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you, let me ask you a question. Do you shine as the world or do you shine as lights in the world? Because there's a difference. Do, listen to that. Do you shine as the world shines or do you shine as lights in the world? You see, one of the, one of the things about our flesh is our flesh desires to fit in, to blend in, and to be just like the world. But God has never called the church to be diet world. We're called to be set apart from the world, not part of it. Apart from it, not part of it. Um, and, and so he says that in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, let me just Go, go through this just for a second. What is crooked about the world? Well, number one, um, unless someone is born again, they will bust hell wide open. Th that, that's the foremost thing. Everything else is a symptom of that. 
Everything else that, we, that we're going to talk about is a symptom of this one fact. If a person is not born again by faith on Jesus Christ, they will bust hell wide open. Whether they're a president or a king, whether they live in America or Timbuktu, whether they're purple, brown, black, white, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they can speak or can't speak. It doesn't matter. If a person is not born again, they will bust hell wide open. And the only way for someone to become born again is not through Muhammad, it's not through Buddha, it's not through Confucius, it's not through finding your Zen, it's not through doing ungodly yoga, it's not doing any other worldly thing, it's through one and only one way, and that is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh who became a man in Mary's womb, who lived a sinless life, who died for our sins on the cross, who never stopped being God and rose from the dead on the third day, who is exalted at the right hand of the Father today. That is the gospel. That's what we're called to believe for the atonement of our sins. And when a person believes that and confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, the word of God says they will be saved. There's no other way that a person can be saved except through that old gospel. And, and, and one of the things that you see in, in religion is that there's mainly two different camps. One camp is what religion is. Man's religion is about building yourself up in something that you do. It's about a day that you do this, a day that you don't. It's about that you stopped doing this and you started doing that. Man's religion is about working your way up the ladder to God. That never has worked. God did not like Babylon for a reason. The Tower of Babel fell because men were trying to work their way to heaven and God will not allow a man to work his way to heaven. God is too holy and set apart for a sinful man to do such. And it, it slaps God in the face when men's religion teach otherwise. The true gospel is that the chasm was too far and too wide and God was so loving that he decided to come to us rather than call us to come to him. We were helpless without God having mercy on us, coming where we were, becoming who we were, and taking our sin upon himself, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and rising on the third day. That, that old-time gospel is the only thing that can take someone who is lost and bring them home again. That is the only gospel that will bring the prodigal back to every father. That's the only gospel that brings reconciliation between sinful man and holy God. Anything else is a liar, a substitute, and just like the devil, it is, a, it is a message masquerading from an angel as light. And one of the things that, you, that we need to see about this gospel is, is that God has called us to stand out from this crooked and perverse nation. Well, what I was saying, though, before I got on that track, is, is that what I was saying is that apart from that, everything else is a symptom of, of a sinful person. The only thing that can save someone is believing on the gospel. 
But everything else is just a symptom, whether a person is a drunk, whether a person is bound in pornography, whether a person is bound by drugs, whether a person is bound by covetousness, whether a person is bound by anger, whether a person is bound by every other sin in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life, no matter what it is, it all is a symptom of being in our sins and not born again. When a person is born again, God changes them. God changes them. God takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. Ezekiel talks about that heart of stone and that heart of flesh for a reason. The heart of stone can, can only do from the outside what it is forced to do. The heart of flesh can be prompted by the pricks of the Holy Spirit from the inside. And that's the difference between the church in the world is because we have a heart of flesh and the world has a heart of stone. Now, one of the things that, that it says, though, is that there's a crooked and a perverse nation. And, and, and I know that, you know, we don't have to sit there and, and talk all about what the world is because we know what the world is. But it's important to remember that the world, no matter how, how good it thinks it is, it's crooked if it's without Jesus. It's crooked if it's without Jesus. If, if it's the best intention that the world has will ultimately fail. The, the Antichrist will come about because of men's desire to have a one world government and to have peace on the world without Jesus. When, when, when people begin to seek after peace without coming to the cross, they were falling into the trap of the Antichrist and the, and the government of his system. His, the desire of the world is to bring about peace without Christ. And that is going to be the hallmark of his mission. And so anytime you see anybody talking about peace without Christ, that is a part of the Antichrist system. This is his duty, his job. That's what he wants to do. And so whenever you see the governments talking about this, you see the United Nations, you see the leagues of nations, you see all these things, you see people trying to, to bring equality to the nations. It will never happen until Jesus establishes his throne from the Mount of Olives. It'll never happen until then. And once he does, once he does come to the Mount of Olives, he's going to establish his throne, his throne of righteousness. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we're called to, to stand out without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen to verse number 16. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, is what Paul said. The, the church's job is not to hold forth a preacher or a denomination or a church but to hold forth the word of life. What is the word of life? Jesus is the word of life. 
Jesus is the chance to start over. Jesus is the chance to have your sins washed away. Jesus is the chance to come out of darkness and into light. Jesus is the opportunity to let confusion leave and let peace come. Jesus is the opportunity for people to come out of their sins and come into glory. The word of life is the gospel that we preach. And the job of the church is not to give the world ourselves or our denomination or our way of thinking, but to say, this is the gospel. This is what God said. This is who God is. And this is how you get there. The, the word of life is the gospel message. The gospel message is what people need. They don't need they don't need us to give them systematic this and systematic that. They need us to give them the message of the old rugged cross. Jesus still saves today and he still listen to this, he still saves the same way he always has. He's never saved someone who did not let go of the world and fall at the cross. You can have all the TV cameras. You can have all the laser lights. You can have the bump, 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 bump. You can have all that stuff, but no one gets saved without the word of life going forth and them coming to Jesus. He still saves today, and he still saves the same old way he always has. He has not changed. He has not changed. Oh, yeah, the church has changed. I'll grant you that. I'll grant you that we have changed. I'll grant you that our methods have changed. But God hasn't changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has never changed, and his way of saving souls has never changed either. And if we desire what he desires, our message won't change. We will preach the same message that has always been preached throughout all 2,000 years of church history. That is the message of reconciliation in Jesus. I heard a preacher say one time, just preach the gospel. Don't worry if people like it or not because if they're sheep, that's what their hearts really want. And if they're goats, that's what they need. The, the sheep truly desire to hear that old gospel again. Every time we hear it, our hearts just get warmed over all again. We fall in love all again with how much, how beautiful the gospel is, how considerate God is, how much he loved us if we're sheep. And if we're goats, what else do we need to hear but that? So we are called to hold forth the word of life. Now, here's two problems that I see with this passage. Number one, it's, are we, number one is that we aren't holding forth anything. That's the first problem I see. It, you, we're not even on the second step about the word of life. The, the church isn't holding forth anything. If you, call a, if you call a dinner and you say, we're going to feed everybody, the church will be full. But if you tell everybody, hey, we're going to go on the streets and preach, 
Crickets. Crickets. Why is that? Why is it that we would rather come to the church and eat than go out into the streets and preach? Why is it that? Because we're not holding forth anything. Number one problem I see with this passage, holding forth the word of life. If we would hold forth something, God could use us for something. A lot of times people say, you know, I, I, I don't know what God wants to use me. Why isn't God using me? What's God's plan for my life? When is this? When is that? Well, here you, here's an important passage right here. Hold forth the word of life. Give someone else hope when they're in a hopeless situation. And, and one of the things that you see, the Bible says that the liberal soul will be made fat. The liberal soul will be made fat. You know that the, that the Lord's not talking about, you know, like we think about it. He's talking about it as you give, God will give back to you. The liberal soul, we're not talking political either. He's talking about the person who is not stingy with what they have. The person who, when God gives you a word, when you read something in the Bible, if you're willing and bold enough and brave enough to give it to other people, God will keep giving to you. But if God can't get anything out of you, he's not going to put anything else in you. If your lips are zipped and God can't get anything else out of you, he won't put anything else in you. It's like that picture of a cup. It can only hold so much water. And once you begin to pour out, God will pour back in. The liberal soul will be made fat. That's what it says in Proverbs. But our problem is we just don't pour out. So number one, holding for the word of life. Our call as believers is to take this message of the gospel and to hold it up. To hold it up. You know, Jesus said that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. That's what he said. And if we will hold Jesus up, he is enough to draw people to himself. If, if you don't see that God's using you in your life, lift Jesus higher. Don't, you know, don't, don't just think that people know. Don't assume that people know why you do what you do. Tell them why you do what you do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but faith speaks. Faith is about speaking the word of God. Give somebody something to believe in. When, when somebody needs to come out of darkness and into light, it's because they believed the message of the gospel, and that's because somebody told them what the gospel is. Hold forth the word of life that people can come out of darkness and into it. Let me show you one other thing is in, he, in Ephesians chapter number two. Ephesians chapter number two, beginning in verse number one. So over there, Paul was saying to hold forth the word of life. That, that is whenever the, the message of the gospel brings life. Unless we forget that until someone is born again, God says they are dead in their sins and trespasses. Look what it says in verse number one. This is, this is what the Lord is saying. He said, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
See, when at some point in time, somebody held the word of life up for you to believe on it. Somebody somewhere, whether it was this year, last year, or 50 years ago, somebody somewhere held up the word of life. And you were dead in your sins, but you became quickened. The Bible says they're quickened. That means made alive. You see, the, the old, um, somebody that could tell you if they were a nurse back in the day, whenever a, whenever a baby was born, the, the baby would come out of the womb, and if the baby wasn't breathing, the doctors did something. They would either slap them on the back or slap them on the rear end. And the baby would take a breath. You slap them hard enough, the baby would draw a breath. And the doctors called that the quickening. The quickening. That's whenever life came. They, they drew that first breath. And that's the same thing that God's talking about here in Ephesians 2.1. He said, you who were dead, he quickened. You were dead in your sins. And when somebody lifted up the gospel, you went, there's hope for me? You mean I don't have to bear my sins anymore? You mean even though I'm a thief, I'm a crook, I'm a liar, I'm a swindler, I'm, I'm hateful, I'm covetous, even though I'm everything that God says I shouldn't be, even though I'm all that, there's hope for me? When that message, when that word of life is extended like that, you who were dead in sins, you were quickened when you believed. Quickened. It says, you had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins where in times past you walked. Now, that's past tense, by the way. You walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Understand, that's the crooked path. When God opened your heart and quickened your soul, God called you out of the crooked paths. God called you to leave the world's way behind and to walk his way. Don't go for the sloppy, agape, false grace movement. God called you to live set apart. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Don't be deceived by the devil. God called you out of the crooked and into the straight if he gave you new life in Christ. Holiness is a message that the church has forgotten as much as repentance, but God has not forgotten it. And look what it says, um, look what it says down in, in verse number three. It says, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. You see, every person that's ever been born again got born again out of the crooked way. We all had our conversation that way. So, so it, you don't look down on somebody because you used to be there too. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, you'd still be there. So you don't look down on others. You try to lift them up. And the only way you can lift them up is by giving them the word of life. Not a, you, you, a pat on the back isn't going to help somebody going to hell. It's not. What they need is the only thing that can rescue their soul. 
the gospel. That you're dead in your sins. Your sins will damn your soul to hell. And then you might say, well, I've only done this or I've only done that. Listen, one sin, one sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Only holy people go to heaven. Only born-again people go to heaven. Good people go to hell all the time. Good people go to hell all the time. One sin. Why, and, and, you know, somebody might say, well, why is that? Why, how can you say only one sin can keep somebody out of heaven? Because that's how holy God is. That's how holy God is. He is holy, holy, holy. Don't be deceived. And because of that, one sin is enough to keep somebody out of heaven. And that's why it's so important for us to give them the only thing that can help them, which is the gospel. I'm not saying don't love them. I'm not saying don't help them. Obviously, that's what we're supposed to do. That's re that is pure religion, is to care for the orphan and the widow. I mean, we're supposed to help those that are without, to help those that are in need. But if we are not lifting up the gospel first, foremost, primarily, exclusively, if we are not proclaiming the way of salvation to those that are lost, we are prodigal children of God. We have lost the mission that God has given us to give. God said, don't blend in, stand out from the crooked and perverse nation. Stand out, shining the light of God, shining forth. That's the call that God has on us. Let's finish this in verse number four. Let me finish three and get to four. It said, um, in times past, uh, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God. But God. Do you see that right there? We had no hope but God. That's the gospel. You, you were children of wrath. You were defiled in, in your sins. You were lost and on your way to hell, but God. This is gospel. God did something about it. God chose to love you when you were unlovable. God chose to love you when you were in sin. God chose to love you. Why? Well, look at the rest of it. It said, but God who is rich in money. Oh, wait, no. That's the wrong gospel. That's the wrong gospel. God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved and it doesn't stop there it said he raised us up together made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. 
It's an amazing thing that we see in, in this message here, and it is that God in his mercy loved us while we were still in our sins. Listen to this, and, and I'm going to close it down. Listen to this. If God loved you while you were still in your sins, how should you love others? Do you realize that if somebody invited you to church or somebody shared the gospel with you, it's because they loved you while you were a dirty, rotten sinner? If somebody proclaimed to you the way of salvation, if somebody shared with you the gospel while you were a drunk, maybe you were in prison, maybe you were in the outhouse, maybe you were in the guttermost, wherever you were, there was some point in time when you were on the outside and somebody from the inside came out to you and, and their heart was broken for you and somebody somewhere shared the gospel with you. And the problem that we see today is that we would rather have a pep rally in the churches than to be broken for souls. There's an old song, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Will the Circle Be Unbroken? You know, that, that there's a circle that God works in. The gospel, it's handed down from generation to generation. The, the gospel doesn't change, and it's handed down from one generation to the next. But what kind of gospel are we handing down to the next generation? Are we pumping it up with laser lights? Or are we trusting in that old rugged cross? What are we trusting in today to save our children, to save our loved ones? And if we are not willing to give them that same old gospel message that we got, how can we truly say we love them? You know, Jesus called us to those two things. He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is likewise to love your neighbor as yourself. If we're not willing to love others the way that God loves us, there's a problem, and we need to repent of it, and we need to ask God to, to touch us, cleanse us, forgive us, the Bible says, you know, if, if, we are, if we will confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And if you're willing to, to ask God and so bold to ask God today, listen, God will use you to touch other people's lives. God's not a respecter of persons. God's not waiting on some famous person to get saved so that he can use them. God's waiting on you. He's not waiting on someone else. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to say, God, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I hear you. I hear you. We are not called to blend in but stand out. And, Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing to be made a full love for you. I'm willing to be laughed at, mocked at. I'm willing... I'm willing to stand out from the crowd, God. Uh, it's not about blending in. 
Why would you want to blend into a crooked and perverse nation? What is it about Christians today that do that? The, the, uh, I remember one old minister, he, he had a message called Chocolate Christians. He said they melt when the heat's on. When God has not called us to blend into the world system, why in the world would we want to fit in with a crooked nation going to hell? The nation around us is going to hell. When you have a nation that is, that it doesn't matter who you put in office, they're going to abort babies. The only way that's going to stop is a move of God. When you have a nation that, that endorses sodomy, homosexuality, same-sex marriage, however you want to say it, when you have a nation that endorses this, we're on the way to hell. It's only a matter of time before God brings judgment. Unless our nation repents, it's coming. The only thing that can save America is not a politician. It's a move of God. When, you, when it's even debatable, it's debatable right now. It's 50-50 abortion. It's 50-50 sodomy. It's 50-50 on all ungodliness. The next one that's coming up is pedophilia. All this ungodliness is coming up out of the gutters because God's people won't hold forth the gospel message. We want to pamper it down, tone it down, and blend in to a nation that's going to hell when God, God has called us to stand out. God has called us to stand out in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation and to hold forth the word of life, the only thing that can bring them out of that bondage, the only thing that can bring them out of that darkness, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would light a fire in our souls this morning. 